All right. Well, official good morning to you all. It's so great to be able to share again. And one thing the Lord has been laying on my heart lately, and it's been a lot in line with what Pastor Pastor Daniel's been sharing, is around the concept of faith and faith for revival, faith for change, faith that faith that grows and persists. And the the topic that came to my head when I was considering what to share that came to my came to me. <clears throat> excuse me. The topic that came to me was uh, the parable of the unjust judge from Luke 18. I like to call it the parable of the importunate or persistent widow, because to me she's the main character, not the judge. She's the she's the good guy. He's the bad guy. And I think about prayer in terms of faith. And this woman is is a hero, as far as I'm concerned, a hero of faith, I would consider her, because she is persisting, she is driving, she's almost antagonizing, definitely antagonizing this judge to get what she needs, because she literally has nowhere else to go. And whenever I think about this, it, it how often does the Lord put us in that kind of a situation? We have nowhere else to go except to him. And I have a feeling a lot of that is going to return or increase as the days go forward. And this is one of the few parables in Scripture where you actually get the meaning. He tells you right up front the purpose of the parable. Sometimes Jesus will will hide the meaning on purpose. He did it. He told the disciples, I've done it so that only those who believe will be able to get it. But this one is so important that he tells you right up front. Luke 18, verse 1. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. So he starts off with the word and. Seems to be linked with the previous chapter, which Luke 17 is all about the second coming. So it's one of those conjunction words where, and we know that, Chapters in the Bible are man-made, and it seems like this is just one continuous thought, and whoever compiled the, the version, the English version of the Bible said, let's put a chapter mark here. But it's a continuous thought relaying to the topic of the second coming. And it's interesting to me, it's always been interesting to me, how the topic of the second coming is linked with persistent, prevailing prayer. And this unjust judge and this persistent or importunate widow having a a link to the second coming. And then this word always, always to pray. Now, when I was growing up or younger, you you think about prayer and it's prayer prayer before you go to school with your mommy and daddy or prayer before your meals. And then prayer before you go to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep and all of that. But this word always is all times, all times, praying at all times, not just two or three times through the day. And it's not even the thought of just the consistency and schedule. Like nowadays, most of us are probably in a routine. Wake up in the morning, read your Bible, do your praying, and then you move on with your day. But it was the concept of praying continuously. And we can do that 
in the spirit. We can do it in, and as we're at our desk, just praying. You know, I do it at work. I do it before I go to the baseball field. When I like, I, like you all know, I'm an umpire. I, Lord, I want to be a good umpire today. Help me to make the right calls. I'm going to keep a good attitude and all that. I do it all all the time, and I'm I'm sure we all do. But it's that just consistency in prayer. But the consistency in prayer for related to the second coming is the interesting point to me. So it's that whole thing of Lord, we we meet once a month to pray for revival and all of that, but we, we don't have to wait till the first Monday of the month to pray for revival, right? We can do that throughout the day, all day, every day. So, And that, that word always is used several different times in the New Testament. First uh, Thessalonians 5.17, very short verse. It says, pray without ceasing. First, excuse me, first, that's a, that's a hard word to say. First Thessalonians 1 verse 3 we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith grows exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all towards each other abounds. So again, thanking God always for them that their faith would grow exceedingly. So this is one of the things Paul was doing for all of those whom he had responsibility for, was continually praying for them continually thanking God for them, that their faith would grow. You think about someone in leadership like Paul was, just constantly praying for his his extended flock, not just those who were with him directly. <clears throat> First Timothy 1.3, I thank God who I serve for my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing, it's the same exact word, without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. So he's he's giving us this concept, he's introducing it of continual prayer. And that's what this the purpose of this parable is. And then of course, without and not faint or or grow weary in heart or fail. Um, it's almost a thought of losing a motivation, if you will. And this is easy to do, especially when you pro- pray for prolonged periods of time for the same things. Lord, I've been praying for this for 20 years, and I haven't seen anything. And and in one of the messages Pastor Daniel was saying when he was in Bible school, they've been talking about praying for revival since the beginning of as long as I've been alive. And the greatest revival we're ever going to see, and and you know I'm getting older, and, and you still say, Lord, we're praying for the same thing, and um, you know some in previous generations have had a small taste of of a revival either through the charismatic movement or through other other things, and those of you who have, who have been blessed to be around that long have had that taste of that, but people in my generation, Pastor Daniel's generation, we haven't seen anything like that yet. And so it's like, oh, where's that? We, we need that. We want to see that. Our parents were so lucky. Our grandparents were so lucky to see that and experience it. I want a piece of that. And it can be very easy if we're not careful to say, oh, it's, I'm about to be 45. This has been a long time. And it feels like a long time. I know you guys are old, older. So what are you talking about, kid? 45? I got shoes older than you. (laughs) But it's easy if we're not careful to grow weary in praying for something. Um, 
So he gives us this parable of the persistent widow and a reminder to, to continually press in. So let's get into the meat of it. I know we've heard this parable a zillion times, so I'm not going to go word by word, but I want to bring out some key thoughts that I haven't thought about in quite some time. Luke 18, verse 2. There was in a city a judge who feared not God, neither regarded man. Now, this is quite a profound statement to say about somebody. <clears throat> this, is quite, this is quite a profound statement because he doesn't fear God, nor does he fear man. So, in general, you could say this is a pretty bad guy. He has no regard for man, doesn't fear God. So what is ruling this man's life? Where does he do? He literally seems like he does whatever he wants. Um, and to understand the parable and the meaning at the end when Jesus draws it out in verse 7 and 8, you have to understand how wicked this man really is. Because he doesn't care at all about man and or God. Now, you have a lot of people who don't care about God, who don't fear God, but they still have some sort of respect for their fellow humans, uh, their fellow mankind, if you will. This man doesn't. So that's just how wicked he is. He had no concept that God rules and reigns in the affairs of man. Neither did he regard man or pay any attention to the calls of justice. And because he didn't respect man, he was unmoved at the complaint of this widow. And how wicked this is for a judge. On top of everything else, he's supposed to be a judge. And I was called to jury duty last week, and I had to sit in a, in a um, area, and I wasn't selected for the jury. I actually had to recuse myself. I'll tell you the details off the tape. But um, the judge was so focused on making sure that we understood not only the law, but the rights of the defendant. And he says, you look at this person and you've heard the charges, but you, if right now I told you to go find a verdict, that verdict has to be not guilty because our law says you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And the state has not given you any proof of anything yet. This is at the beginning of the trial. He goes, you as jurors have to go into that room. If I told you to right now, you would have to come back as innocent because you have no facts. You have no details. You have no proof. And he was so focused on that. He talked for about 15 minutes about the importance of our rights to be innocent until proven guilty. And he was very focused on justice, on doing the right thing according to the law, but also preserving the rights of the accused. This judge, not like that at all. He didn't care. You almost get the concept of, he just will do whatever he feels like or whoever is going to pay him the most money. It's almost like there's a bribery. If you read between the lines a little bit, which I don't like to do too much in Scripture, but you can get the idea of how just how wicked this man is. He was concerned with himself, his own opinions, his own comfort, his own income. In verse 6, Jesus calls him unjust, which is wrong, wrongdoing, unrighteous, wicked, and no justice. And again, thinking of this from the perspective of he's supposed to be a judge. We don't know why 
he won't give her the justice that she has asked for. Probably had to do with money because widows were, of course, uh, very poor in this time. And he didn't want to be troubled with her. And you can see that through her continual, and we'll get into it with we get to the other verses, but her continual crying out kind of wears him down. So he only makes the decision because he's just worn down, probably physically, mentally, and emotionally. I'm just get this lady away from me. He's not even, doesn't care to do the right thing. He just wants to be left alone, right? <clears throat> now, Israel had a law going all the way back to Deuteronomy 27, 19. It says, Cursed be he that perverts judgment of a stranger, fatherless and widow. And all the people shall say amen. This was a law that the widows, the fatherless, and the strangers were to be protected. And their judgment, they, they, they were protected by, by the law because they didn't have any other means. Once, you know, a widow who's lost her husband, potentially lost the rest of her family, she's got, she has no other means, no other place to go in this society. Now, thank God we don't do that anymore. And of course, the fatherless, you think of the orphans, who's going to look out for them but the justice system? And if somebody perverts that or, or brings um, impartiality into that or crookedness into that, God says you're cursed because you're perverting the justice of people who have nowhere else to go except for you. So he's, he's very strong words. You wouldn't want to be cursed by God, right? Using very strong words to show how much he cares for these people who have no other means and no other place to go. Now we get to verse 3, Luke 18, verse 3. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him and said, Avenge me of mine adversary. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that someone is has done something to her that she feels strongly enough and calls them an adversary and needs justice, needs to be avenged. We have a companion verse like Exodus 22, 22 says, You shall not afflict a widow or a fatherless child. Exodus 22, 22. So, by law, if she had any kind of argument whatsoever, the judge should have sided with her from the beginning because it's a law here. You will not afflict any widow or fatherless child. And she goes to the judge because where else should she go? Where else can she go? Special widows were made. There's a whole chapter in Deuteronomy, chapter 24. Special provisions were made for Israel in Israel for widows. Now, that's because God provided that law. He made those provisions. Some people in those cities took that negatively because they had to take from their money to account for these widows. So that made them, unfortunately, in this time period, they were looked at as social outcasts, a weight on society. Well, we have to take care of you. Why, you know, you've got, and so there was sometimes a negative connotation to it. Uh, they could not, sometimes they weren't very popular. So she cries out and says, Grant me justice for my adversary. So she's coming to this judge as a last resort. He's the only person who can help her. She knows it, and that's why she's going there. And as we see, she's not going to take no for an answer. I love the thought of this. If you look at persistence here, 
Luke 18, 4 through 5. And he would not for a while. She says, avenge me of my adversary, and he would not for a while. That's a whole study, right? He would not for a while. You don't know how long a while is. When somebody says, wait a while, that usually means more than a couple of minutes. (laughs) It usually means you're going to be waiting. But afterward, he says within himself, and again, he knows his attitude. He knows who he is. He's got some self-awareness here. I don't fear God. I don't fear man. Yet this widow troubles me. Because she troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He knows his own wickedness. He says, I don't fear God. I don't care about man. But this old lady won't leave me alone. So I'm going to give her what she wants just because she's wearying me. She's troubling me. And you can almost get this picture of this because I'm thinking of this little little old lady just following him around the city. Hey, don't forget about me. Where's my justice? Where's my justice? Leave me alone. She's following him around. He's at dinner with his wife trying to do whatever. Hey, over here, don't forget about me. <laughs> Persisting. And he says no and no and no. And finally he's like, oh, somebody get this lady off my back. So in order to do that, I don't care about her. I don't care about her justice. I don't even care about her case. I just want her to leave me alone. So I'm going to give her what she wants. I mean, that's what it says, right? She was weary, wearying him. That word weary, I looked it up in the in the original language. Weary, lest she... By her continual coming, she weary me. That word weary has the thought of giving a black eye or hitting somebody under the eye. So her persistence is physically impacting him. It's that thought of um, uh, not just wearying like tiredly, but physically. Like the the word, I I didn't write the word number down, but it says hitting under the eye, like giving somebody a black eye with her continual coming. Figuratively, you could say it's to bring someone to submission by constant annoyance, wearing down or browbeating is what she had to do to get the justice that she needed. But when you think about it, where else? What, what else was she supposed to do? She could either give up, which we don't know what that would mean because it doesn't really say, or keep pressing in because she's got nowhere else to go. I would think that as Jesus is giving this parable, people are thinking about widows that they might know. And there had to have been some sort of reason behind this. Naturally, maybe he was in an area where there was a lot of widows or something. But thinking about all the way back to the second coming, it's linked to that. And the persistence in prayer is the thing that really gets me. Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. For everyone that asks receives. Everyone that seeks finds. And him to knocks, it shall be opened. And again, that word is, the Greek language has a continuous tense. We don't have that. It's a continuous tense, meaning ask and continue to ask. So it's the, the knock and continue to knock. Oh, Seek and continue to seek until you find what you're looking for. So it's that continue 
until you get your answer is the is the way that the verb is or the words are written here. And it's not that you're trying to change God's mind. It's not like God has said no. It's continue to pray until it comes to pass, until his timing. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Think about Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel starts to pray towards the end of Israel's imprisonment. It's And he begins to fast. He begins to pray. And then it's, it's a long period of time. I think it's something like three weeks. Several days, several, several days, more than a couple of days, where he's praying and waiting and praying and waiting and praying and waiting. And then finally the angel comes and the angel says, I was sent as soon as you started praying, but the enemy came to prevent me. And there was a battle in the heavenlies while the angel was bringing the answer to Daniel. So Daniel had to continue to pray until that victory was one in the heavenlies, and then the angel could come. So there's things going on in the supernatural that we might not understand, and that's why our job is just to pray until we see the answer. Now, if God says no, that's a different thing. You don't just keep praying. When I asked my dad for a Camaro for my first car, and he said no, and I said, but dad, I want a Camaro, and he said no. I wasn't going to change his mind on that one. Um, it was probably a wise answer. Um, although I still say I wanted a Camaro, but um, <clears throat> when he says no, I'm not going to change his mind. And that's So if he says yes, but wait a while, I mean, there might be a little hope. So we pray and we pray and we pray, and I'm 45 and I'm still waiting for my Camaro. So we'll see. Who knows? Um, but that value, the value of persisting, continuing in prayer until God until God's time comes to pass or until some whatever battle might be coming. Because we're praying for revival. We've been praying for revival for a long time. But do you think the enemy wants revival to happen? No, he does not. He doesn't want to see God move on our midst. He doesn't want to see us progress forward into the greater things that God has for us. So he resists. And he doesn't just resists lightly, he resists vehemently because he knows his end is near, right? And so we have to pray to see those things accomplished. You know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against those principalities and powers. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication. So this is a, the last part of the verses about the armor of God. And the armor of God has a lot of defensive weapons. I talked about the gospel of peace being an offensive weapon, peace being that offensive weapon on our feet. But prayer is also kind of like a, a secret weapon. We have a secret hidden weapon of praying always with prayer and supplication. The armor of God helps protect. We've got the word which we fight, the gospel of peace which we fight in prayer. We can fight with prayer to see victories won. That battle that is in the heavenly realm is only won through prayer. It's not like we can suit up and say, hey God, I've got my gear. Throw me into the heavens and let's fight because that's not our role. That's not our function. We would not, we don't, we don't do physical battle in the heavenlies. We do spiritual battle. We pray. We pray. We suit up by putting on the armor of God and being protected 
And then we take our sword, the gospel of peace, and our prayer, and we do the only battle that we can, right? We fight in prayer. We stay at peace, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and keep that word, that sword of the word sharp so that we can resist whatever we can. So, And that's a pretty strong Christian. That's somebody who I would want in my army, somebody who's protected and doing the fight that they should. All right? God's sure justice. Luke 18, verses 6 through 8. The Lord now says, Hear what the unjust judge says. Listen to what he just said. Though I fear not God, nor I regard man. That's what he said. Yet, by her continual wearying, I'll give her what she wants. She keeps punching me in the face with her words. And I'm and to give her what I'm going to give her what she wants, not because I fear God or regard man, but because I want her to leave me alone. And I said old lady earlier. There's no rule that says she was an old lady. It's just what I picture visually. She could have been 40. We don't know. 30. Who knows? She was a widow. That's all it says. So I don't mean to throw any shade on anybody or this this lady, but that's all. I just thought about that. <clears throat> so now God says, Jesus says, hear what the unjust judge says. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So again, going all the way back to linking this to the second coming, when he comes, will he find faith? And he interjects this little parable here about persisting in prayer to draw it out and then say, shall not God avenge his own elect? Does God care for us more than the unjust judge cared for this woman? Yeah, infinitely more. He didn't care about her at all, and God loves us with an everlasting love. And he says, if this unjust, wicked judge will give justice to someone who persists and continues to press in, how much more will God do to those who he actually loves and cares for and watches out for? Right? So it's that contrast that Jesus brilliantly does in almost all of his parables. He gives you the negative, gives you the positive, and says, look at how much, look at, and, and uses contrast to show us a spiritual lesson. Shall not God who loves you with an everlasting love avenge you even more than this unjust judge who didn't care about this woman at all? And he still did the right thing, but for all the wrong reasons. And God, who loves us, how much more will he do? Think about that. Though he bear long with them. The value of disappointment and delay. Second Peter 3, verses 3 through 4. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Sound familiar? And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Where is this promise? We've been hearing about this since time immemorial. We've been hearing about this since as long as I've been alive, like I just said. I can't speak about before, but I know it was talked about before then too. We've been hearing about this forever. 
They're scoffers, he says. A little bit further down the chapter, 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. One day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. There's a lot to unpack there. When he says, wait a while, a while to us is nowhere close to a while for him, right? He says, wait one day, and that could be a thousand years. You say, oh, Lord, (laughs) I want to understand your timing because, you know, excuse me, I have the habit of praying. I'll close my eyes and say, Lord, if you, we need X, Y, or Z, can we please? And then I open it up and I immediately start looking saying, where is it at? Where is it at? Where is it at? See, to me, that feels like a while. (laughs) The time it takes me to open my eyes is a little too long. But that's not how God's work. That's not how God works. That's not how his timing works. The Lord is not slack, verse 9, concerning his promise as men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are, that are therein shall be burned up. The thing that I wanted to bring out here is he is long-suffering to us. We say, Lord, send it now, come now, return now. And we want to see that. We want to, we're excited to see that. And we want to see that because spiritually, we feel like we're ready. If the Lord were to return today, we're going to heaven. Great. But what about if the Lord returned today, all those people who aren't right with him, where are they going? And the Lord says he's not willing that any should perish. So he's waiting as long as he can so that everyone who can be saved will be saved. Because he doesn't want to come early and have people go to hell who shouldn't or who wouldn't if he would have waited five more years, right? Is it worth it to wait that extra five years for all of those extra people? To God it is. Is it worth, is it, worth it to wait that extra hundred years so that all those people could be saved? To God it is, right? So we think about timing from our own perspective. God, bring it now, do it now, do it now. Because to a certain degree, we feel like we're ready for that. Now, I, I would suggest we, we aren't. He's waiting for us to be ready as well, to be able to handle and bear what he's going to do. But he's not willing that any should perish, that any should be left behind. But he also says then it will come quickly. To some, it'll still feel like it's quickly. So though he bear along with them, all the way back to Luke 18, verse 7, he's bearing along with us. He's waiting for us to be ready. And it's almost like he's just sitting there, Ooh, you don't even know it yet, but you're only a couple years away from what I'm about to do. It's just waiting and waiting. Think about it from his perspective. Like when you buy somebody a gift, right, for a Christmas or a birthday, I'm terrible at this because usually when it comes in, I'm like, I want to see her open it, so I'll just give it to her now. Uh, but waiting for a Christmas morning, and you're like, oh, yeah, we got one day left, and I can see her open this gift or whatever. She's going to be so happy. That's what he's. That's what God's doing. He's long-suffering with us while we are obedient to him and prepared. But then he says, I will avenge them speedily. And again, this seems like a contrast Lord, you just said you're long-suffering and we're going to have to wait a while, but then you said he's going to avenge speedily. But And what he means by that is when the time comes, things move quickly. Um, I give this example. 
when I was, before I got married, I was praying. I felt like when it was time for me to, to get married, I knew I was going into the ministry and all that. And I prayed and prayed and prayed. And I felt like, oh, I'm getting close to 30. This is ancient of days here. Um, I need to get, and I knew that I was supposed to be married and I felt like that was the right time. But I did, I just, it, I wasn't ready. Ashley wasn't ready. So, and there were things that needed to happen. But when we met in July of 2007, we were engaged within four months and married within 10. So it was like, okay, now's the time. Let's move. If so, she graduated college. We got married the next year. We went on our honeymoon. We moved to Virginia and she started a new job and I started a new job all within like a month. And so it was like, we were planning, we had like 10 months to plan her graduation plus our wedding, plus our honeymoon, plus move and everything else. So quickly, it didn't seem like it was, it was long suffering. Oh Lord, I'm 30. I'm going to have to use my walker to walk down the aisle. But um, when the time came, it was, whoa, this is happening fast because <laughs> God's timing was moving. And that's how I always think about these, these two verses here. He's long-suffering, he's waiting, but when the right time comes, he's going to move quickly. Nevertheless, when he comes, will he find faith in the earth? Pastor Daniel's been talking about faith for the last month, about increasing our faith, growing in faith, pressing in for faith. And this verse here, these, this little parable here really drives it home to me, the prayer of faith, persisting in that prayer of faith and using this, this widow, this wonderful woman, this hero of faith to as an example of what God means by the prayer of faith. To me, that's this. God gives you that word of faith, all right, then we press in and we pray. It's not about getting what you want, and that's the, the outward kind of moral of the story if you looked at it through a natural perspective, but spiritually, linking it with the second coming, linking it with faith, this is the kind of prayer I think of. Persistent prayer, pressing in, that prayer of faith. I'm not going to give up until I see that seed of faith that you gave come to pass. And that's what I think of when I think of the unjust judge, when I think of this woman, this wonderful woman, who is a great example for all of us about how to pray in these as we're approaching these last days. Amen? Trust this was a blessing to you as it was to me. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness to us. We're thankful for the example of this wonderful woman here who pressed in with all that she had until she got the justice that she needed, that she was due. And so, Lord, we ask that you would, you would inspire us. We've been hearing about faith for the last month or so. Inspire us, Lord, by this, this woman. Inspire us, Lord, to press in with all that we have, to pray until we see your works come to pass. We thank you. We bless you and just ask that you would be with us now for the remainder of the day. And Lord, bless our week and bring us all back together safely, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great night.